Welcome to the Witnessing History Education Foundation podcast, educating Americans to understand the history of their country and of other countries so that they will appreciate the value of America's unique free institutions. Become an American hero who participates in our mission by joining us at witnessinghistory.org. Download our documentaries and free teacher education materials that conform to grade-level education standards at pbslearningmedia.org. Follow Witnessing History on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Today, our guest is Witnessing History Education Foundation's president, Kent Masterson-Brown. He is here to provide us with the story behind the country's second oldest and the largest Civil War roundtable, the Kentucky Civil War Roundtable. Kent is the current president of the Kentucky Civil War Roundtable, which meets five times per year over dinner with guest speakers who travel from all over the country to appear before the membership of about 380 people. The meetings are held at the Embassy Suites on Newtown Pike. For more information, go to the website at kycivilwarroundtable.org. Now let's listen to a short excerpt of the recording from the October 1952 address of attorney and Lincoln scholar William H. Townsend of Lexington, Kentucky, appearing before the Chicago Civil War Roundtable discussing Kentucky legend Cassius Marcellus Clay. Uh, as to Clay's sons, he had one son, uh, Brutus Clay, who was Theodore Roosevelt's minister to Switzerland. And I mustered up courage enough for one time when I was writing Lincoln and his on down to go over and visit the old fella. And as he stood framed in the doorway, an enormous old fella with a great shock of hair, no white. I said to myself that the old lion would never be dead as long as his son was there. And uh, I had a very pleasant uh, time with him. Took a good many pictures that appear in uh, my book. I assure you that I avoided all controversial questions. (laughs) And I I continued to do that, as a matter of fact, until uh, one time... One morning, Carl Sandberg and uh, uh, Sherwood Anderson came to Lexington, or they were coming through Lexington, and Carl called me up to the, at the Phoenix Hotel. I, I felt sure that he needed uh, some Kentucky Tavern, and uh, went up there with that, and then they both said... Uh, now, are you going to write the life of Cassius M. Clay? If you don't, we're going to write it. And uh, I'll tell you what we're going to name it. We're going to call it the Magnificent Blatherskite. Well, I said, uh, Carl, uh, the old general hasn't got any sons living, but he's got a daughter, Miss Lara, who is living, and uh, uh, she will retaliate heavily upon you on that. Miss Lara was a great big woman with a steel sharp jaw, and one time in a Democratic state convention, 
I heard her make a speech that made the delegates tear up their straw hats. <laughs> so I, I said, well, Carl, I'm an interloper in the field of literature. I'm a fellow that tries to gather a few clients together and uh, make a living. And I can't write. I'm not a professional writer, and I haven't got time to do it. Well, he said, all right, you tell Miss Laura what I said. So I went up to see Miss Laura. I hadn't dared to do that before. Miss Laura, and she spoke up very quickly and very decidedly, and she said, nobody but a Kentuckian could understand my father. And I said, well, now, is it all right for me to write to life for General Clay? And she said, quite all right. I said, you know, I'll have to go into a great many things that were controversial during his life and unpleasant to the family, such as the Russian boy and his Child, wife, married, and she said, yes, it's all right. Uh, <clears throat> she was, uh, she acted a, a, an exceedingly good sport about that. And, uh, but shortly after that, uh, she died, and other things intervened, and the life of Cash has not been written yet. <laughs> Bill, I seem to remember that after the Civil War, Clay had some political ambitions. Perhaps you ought to tell us something about Well, he that. had political ambitions uh, from birth. He had political ambitions from the very beginning when he got back from Yale. Strange enough. Don't know how he did it, but he won two straight terms in the state house representative. He then, as I told you a while ago, in 56, he ran for the United States Senate. And then, of course, he wanted to be Secretary of War in Lincoln's cabinet. Uh, he got across to St. Petersburg. He pestered Lincoln about getting into the war until Lincoln finally let him come back about 1862. Made him a major general in the uniform. He was in a couple of battles, but he found out that the boy knife didn't work. <laughs> and uh, he immediately lost interest and went back to Russia, where he remained until 1869. Now, uh, he was, uh, I think, a candidate for governor, I remember correctly, later on in his life. But whatever political ambitions he had, I think he surely must have known that he could hardly realize them as a matter of principle as much as he was in such not only a sad but dangerous minority. Uh, I wonder if you've seen the letters that he sent to Charles Dana suggesting himself for the presidency. No, I'm very sure that he felt capable of <laughs> Welcome, Kent. <laughs> it's good to be here. <laughs> It's good to talk about the Kentucky Civil War Roundtable. It's a great institution. It is a great institution. Now, so let's talk about William Townsend for a minute. (laughs) Who was he? Uh, Bill, as we, uh, I knew Bill, and uh, he he was born in Anderson County, Kentucky, and um, that's Lawrenceburg. And uh, there's even a historical marker at his birth site. Uh, Bill um, was raised there. He is the only person I've ever known in my life 
who turned to me and told me of the Mexican War veterans he knew growing up. Now, that takes it back pretty far. He was born about 1890, Mm -hmm. and he died in 1964. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he knew just a lot of people who, not only Mexican War veterans, but particularly Civil War veterans, And he became enamored with history as a young boy. He um, went to the University of Kentucky and then the University of Kentucky Law School and began practicing law here in Lexington and practiced practiced it under a firm called Stahl, Muir, Townsend, and Park. And uh, they were in the old First National Building on Main Street and Upper. And... um, He uh, took his interest in history um, to some significant uh, lengths. Uh, One, he became enamored with Abraham Lincoln. And I think what got him into Lincoln was his friendship with William Barton. Uh, William Barton was one of the great Lincoln scholars in the 1930s and 40s. He wrote a biography of He Lincoln, wrote a two-volume biography. Was he from Kentucky as no, well? No, no. But Barton befriended Townsend, and he introduced Townsend to a lot of people, like Carl Sandburg, who, of course, wrote a multi-volume biography of Abraham Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Townsend wound up writing a book called Lincoln in His, in his Wife's Hometown, which uh, was a study of Lincoln's connection with Lexington. And that became a book, the University of Kentucky Press, now the University Press of Kentucky, published as Lincoln and the Bluegrass Mm -hmm. in the 1950s. And it was a very popular book when I was a boy. And so those were his major books, but then he also produced all sorts of other side things, like a book called Hundred Proof, which were stories of the Salt River. These are stories he grew up with. Well, now he's from the town that that houses the wild turkey <laughs> yes, distillery, <it> is. <laughs> isn't he? Yeah. And as as the uh, as the as his talk uh, that we've just heard, the fragment. Uh, he laced everything with references to bourbon whiskey. Yes. He refers to it in there as Kentucky Tavern. I think Carl Sandburg would like a little Kentucky Tavern. Uh, but Bill uh, became the first president. He was really the organizing uh, person behind the Kentucky Civil War Roundtable and was its first president until he died in 1964. So that's who Bill is. Yes, and now he had some other connections with Abraham Lincoln. Well, he uh, he was a collector yes. of Lincolnia. Mm-hmm. He collected all sorts of Lincoln documents, uh, Lincoln legals, Lincoln signatures. Um, he also um, befriended, as a young lawyer here in Lexington, the uh, the son of Benjamin Harden Helm, the Confederate brigadier general who was killed at Chickamauga, and his his son Ben Harden Helm Jr. lived south of Lexington in a place still called the Helm Place. He was brought up there by his mother, who was the widow of General Helm Emily, and two sisters. 
Well, let's talk about Emily for a minute. Mm-hmm. She has a very important connection to she Abraham a, Lincoln. She has a huge connection, um, as do all. These are Emily is one of the children of the second marriage of Robert Todd, who was Mary Todd Lincoln's father. Mm-hmm. Her mother died um, relatively young. And Todd remarried and married um, Elizabeth Humphreys. And from that second marriage, uh, he had multiple children, uh, one of whom was Emily. So Emily is the half-sister of Mary Todd Lincoln. And uh, she's the one who married Ben Hardin Helm, um, the Confederate Brigadier General. Um, One of those interesting things about all this, frankly, is when Robert Todd's the children of his first marriage, um, all became fundamentally pro-union during the Civil War. (laughs) His daughter, uh, Mary Todd, married the president of the United States. Um, But the children from his second marriage, all of Mary Todd Lincoln's half-siblings, all the boys became Confederate officers or Confederate soldiers. Uh, all the girls married Confederate officers. Two of them even lived in Selma, Alabama when the war broke out, mm-hmm. stitched together the battle flag of the Magnolia Grays from a company of infantry from Selma, and both of them attended Jefferson Davis's inaugural. Mm-hmm. Imagine that. Mm-hmm. All this kind of stuff enamored Bill Townsend. He loved this stuff. And it's uh, so much of what he did uh, formed the platform on which so much other work has been done on Lincoln, his relationship with Lexington, which is probably the third most important town in his life. Well, and Bill ends up marrying the beautiful daughter of his friend, Ben Hardenhelm Jr., Mm -hmm. and ends up living... no less than in the Helm place. Well, yeah, he didn't marry the daughter of, okay. of Ben Hardenhelm Jr. He be, he befriended Ben. Okay. Ben was a bachelor. Okay. And Ben lived out there. Now, what happened was that uh, Bill Townsend's daughter, Mary Genevieve, married Joe Murphy, and those two lived in the Helm place. I see. Yeah, okay. that's how that works. Okay. I had that mixed up a little bit. Okay. And so, he, he, Bill basically took care of Ben Helm Jr. And um, Ben apparently turned to Bill and said, look, it, it's all yours if you take care of me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, without pensions and without uh, 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 all sorts of uh, nursing care in those days, it was nice to have someone agree to help you. Mm-hmm. And it was worth a lot. Mm-hmm. And for Ben Helm, that's what he did. And Bill uh, took care of him. And um, at the end, uh, Bill got the house, gave it to his daughter, and uh, um, been out there many, many times with Bill's daughter uh, and her husband. It's a lovely place. It's a beautiful place. It's a lovely place. A Greek revival mansion built in about 1852. Uh, Beautiful place. Mm -hmm. So... That's Bill Townsend. What are some of the artifacts he collected, and where could we see them today? Well, 
some of the Lincoln artifacts. Mm-hmm. And let me give you a story about okay. it. I, I like stories. My first introduction with Bill Townsend uh, was in November 1959. Now, I would have been uh, 10 going on 11. And uh, I went to the Kentucky Civil War Roundtable when it was, um, it was being held in the uh, gold room of the Lafayette Hotel, which is now the government building downtown <laughs> on Main Street. Then it was a beautiful hotel a and glorious ballrooms. And, mm-hmm. and the roundtable met in this, the gold room, which is absolutely gorgeous. Anyway, my host, uh, who was also my, the family doctor, uh, William T. Maxson, asked me, would you like to go up and meet Mr. Townsend? And I said, I'd love to because I'd heard about him. And so I went up there, and up there, going up there with us was Dr. Maxson's son, Phil Maxson, who was a young chum of mine growing up and has been a friend of mine ever since. And he is to this day, and like his father, he's a loyal member of the Kentucky Civil War Roundtable. So I went up to uh, see this fellow, and here is this, this fellow with a three-piece suit seated in the chair behind the speaker stand. And he sees us come up, and he turns in the chair. And he, white, his white hair, as he says, a shock of white hair. And he's got this three-piece suit with his watch fob. And, and he turns to me, and he goes, how are you, young fellow? And I said, I'm fine. He says, I'm Bill Townsend. And I said, well, I'm Kent Brown. And this is my friend, Phil Maxson. And Townsend shook Phil's hand, and he goes to me, he says, do you like Abe Lincoln? And I said, oh, yes, Mr. Townsend, I really do like Abraham Lincoln. Now, get this, folks. He then reaches into his pocket and pulls out a pocket watch. And he says, do you know whose watch this is? And I go, no. And he turns it over, and it has on the back, A. Lincoln. And he said, it's Abraham Lincoln's. And he says, do you see this crease up by the stem? And I said, yes. He says, do you know how that crease got there? And I said, no. And he says, when Lincoln was shot in Ford's Theater, he said he slumped in the chair. And Major Rathbone, who is his bodyguard, ran over and tried to pull him out of the chair, and the watch got caught. Mm. Well, now, can you imagine the effect of this Mm. on a 10-year-old kid? Mm. My eyes were just popping out of my head. I know he probably would have laughed his head off after this little, little deal with me. But he was wearing Lincoln's pocket watch. And then he said, do you know whose cufflinks these are? And I said, are they Abe Lincoln's too? He says, they are. They were. He said he wore them the night he was assassinated. See, Mm. Ben Helm gave him those. Mm. Mm -hmm. And Ben got him because, I mean, he, he was a, he lived a long time. And in that family, the only other living member 
was it was Abraham Lincoln's oldest son, Robert, Robert Todd Lincoln. Mm. And Robert Todd would have had them and probably given them mm -hmm. to Ben, ben Helm mm -hmm. because there was no one else to take them. So the provenance of them was darn good. <laughs> those were Lincoln's artifacts. And, and those items today, as I understand, are in the Kentucky Historical Society. I know is the watch right? is. I have seen we the watch. We can see there. the watch at the Kentucky it's Historical Society. Yeah, it's actually on In display. Frankfurt. Yeah. The yeah. cufflinks, we don't know. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And I remember. The, the a famous Lincoln collector uh, whose name escapes me, it'll come to me, but uh, out west actually, I think, bought a lot of mm. the Lincoln artifacts from Mary Genevieve mm -hmm. well after Bill passed away. She mm -hmm. had no way of knowing what to do with all of that. Mm -hmm. And it was extensive. Uh, mm -hmm. Not only Lincoln, but all kinds of things related to Cassius Clay, uh, um, Kentuckiana, Kentucky mm -hmm. history. Bill was a huge collector. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. So when you met Mr. Townsend as a young boy, yeah. uh, he was the president, he was the president of the Kentucky Civil War Roundtable. So let's talk about what are these roundtables that you're referencing? What, what, how did these get going? The, they got going, frankly, with the Chicago Civil War Roundtable. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Chicago Civil War Roundtable, the organization that Bill gave that famous speech to, a fragment of which you just heard, mm -hmm. um, he gave that in 1952, October of 1952. The Chicago Civil War Roundtable began not too far before then, and its whole mission was simply to have meetings then, I think the Chicago Roundtable was, were meeting monthly. Uh, but having meetings where they could invite notable speakers and then discuss uh, the American Civil War and uh, give people an opportunity to, uh, to do that. And um, that roundtable was put together much like this one by people who had an academic interest in the Civil War, were academics, but also people who simply had an avocational interest in the Civil War. Some people who had a commercial interest in the Civil War, like the, uh, the owner of the Abraham Lincoln Bookshop. In Chicago. In Chicago, mm -hmm. which is still being still operated. Mm -hmm. uh, Ralph Newman was his name. Mm -hmm. And these people had huge interests in not just to sell things, but they had an interest themselves. That's what got them into the business of, mm -hmm. of running a bookshop like that. So all those kind of people came together in Chicago. Uh, they referred to it as a round table because that was kind of the, the vision of this, something like uh, uh, King Arthur's uh, famous crew that sat around a round table in Britain, and um, these were the select. Mm -hmm. And... Um, that was kind of the thought behind it. Mm -hmm. And um, once the Chicago Civil War Roundtable began uh, going in earnest, uh, you saw some others start to spring up. Mm -hmm. The second one, though, was the Kentucky Civil War Roundtable. Mm -hmm. And what happened was Bill went up there and gave that speech. And he was uh, so well-received. I mean, it was a tremendous speech. And he went up there with his old friend, uh, J. Winston Coleman, who was another really close friend of mine. 
um, for years. We were great buddies. Uh, the two of them went up there. Um, Townsend and Coleman were inseparable. And he gave that talk and came back so fired up about the idea of an organization that just had speakers on the Civil War that he decided, why don't we form one? Mm -hmm. And so in October 1953, uh, Bill Townsend called an informal group to his law office on mm -hmm. Main Street mm -hmm. and uh, to discuss forming, forming a roundtable. And by the way, by 19, October 1953, uh, that speech he gave had already been put on 33 and a third RPM uh, <laughs> records uh -huh. and were sold all over the country. <laughs> and, to benefit the Civil War Roundtable no, in Chicago. No, it benefited, it, it benefited <laughs> no? the Abraham Lincoln Bookshop. Oh, okay. This is Ralph, Ralph Newman. Newman. Okay. Ralph Newman was recording this unbeknownst to Bill Townsend. Oh, my. And here's a funny story about that. Um, Bill, I mean, people were asking, have you got the record that you have your, of, your, uh, of your speech, Bill? And he goes, hell no, hell no. We like this. No one ever told me it was being recorded. He really <laughs> got mad about it. And he threatened to sue Ralph Newman for, for doing that. But then one day he gets a letter in the mail that uh, – uh, up on the upper left of the envelope reads the White House, <laughs> and and he opens this envelope up and unfolds the letter, and it says, "Dear Mr. Townsend, uh, Mamie and I have listened <laughs> to your recording on Cassius Marcellus Clay, and we found it the most entertaining speech we ever heard." Signed, Dwight David Eisenhower, <laughs> and with that, he gave up. All thoughts of suing Ralph Newman. <laughs> it went viral. No, it went viral. As things could go viral in 1953, it went viral. 33 and a third. Yes. <laughs> it could go viral. Okay. And by the way, there people to this day will come up to me at the round table or other places and say, do you have a, a copy of that speech of Bill Townsend's? If you don't, I've got one I can give you. I mean, it's just, you can't imagine the number of people that own copies of that. That's amazing. It's unbelievable. So ours was founded in, started in 1953. And let me, let me tell you some of the people yeah, who were with him, who met yeah. with him. Mm -hmm. These are the founding spirits of the round table. Of course, Bill Townsend, he's He's holding forth in his own law office. Mm -hmm. uh, Herman Lee Donovan, who was president of the University of Kentucky. I didn't know uh, Dr. Donovan, uh, but uh, he had a marvelous reputation in this town. Um, then A.D. Kerwin, Ab Kerwin. Um, I knew Ab Kerwin. Ab Kerwin was, the, um, was a historian, uh, <clears throat> did some extraordinarily fine work on John J. Crittenden, and then uh, uh, Johnny Green of the Orphan Brigade, he's the one who originally edited that fine book. Uh, Kerwin uh, came from Louisville. He played football at the University of Kentucky and became, during World War II, the football coach. And you can imagine in the middle of World War II what Kentucky's football team was like. Not much. It wasn't much throughout my young life, mm -hmm. but it must have been really at a low ebb during Kerwin's <laughs> coaching tenure there. 
And he became uh, president of the University of Kentucky. Okay. Uh, so he was there. He, he was a great historian, uh, but also a, a, an early administrator of the University of Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, Holman Hamilton was there. Holman became a very dear, dear friend of mine. And and Holman, Holman came from Fort Wayne, Indiana. He uh, went to Williams College and um, then got into journalism and was a a newspaper man for the Fort Wayne News. And while he was a newspaper man, he wrote the two-volume biography of Zachary Taylor. And he was, he's like Bill Townsend. He had a profession, but he was so interested in history Mm -hmm. that he writes uh, two volumes, the only biographies, biography of Zachary Taylor ever done. Mm -hmm. I mean, as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. And then he decided... In midlife, I'm going to be good. I'm going to get a PhD. So he gets a PhD at the University of Kentucky hmm. and then becomes a professor. So he's attending this meeting as a fellow who is in his final years, it is getting his PhD hmm. in history. And he became one of the most popular historians and professors ever at the University of Kentucky. And if you knew him, you'd know why. He uh, was the perfect gentleman, a terrific human being. Uh, also present was another old friend for whom I worked for many years, Hamilton Tapp. Uh, Dr. Tapp came from Springfield, Kentucky, uh, went to Center College, was a graduate of the class of 1922. Mm. And uh, So he was there for the famous football he game. He was there during the fam- <laughs> at 1921, the famous football game with Harvard. And I asked him once if he went. He said, no, I didn't go to the game. But we went down to the uh, Western Union office and listened for it. And they would, they would announce, as, oh. the, as the cables came across, they would go out on the front street and announce, uh, center just gained two yards. Uh, <laughs> Bo McMillan took the ball to the right and is tackled around the 36-yard line. And we go, hey, like this. That's as close as you got. <laughs> but uh, uh, Ham, uh, as we all called him, uh, became a f- professor at the university. He was a longtime educator and uh, uh, became a professor at the university. But more than that, he became the head of the um, uh, Kentucky Life Museum, which is now Waveland mm-hmm. State Park out mm-hmm. off the uh, Higby Mill Pike. Mm-hmm. And I used to work for him out there. But he was he was president. J. Winston Coleman, engineer, developer, and an amateur historian, really not amateur as the the word's overused. He was a serious historian, Mm -hmm. wrote a lot of pamphlets, a lot of good books, and was a great photographer. And so he wrote a lot of photographic works on Kentucky's history. Mm -hmm. Willard Rouse Gilson, the state geologist who, Mm. I mean, he's one of the great uh, historians of Kentucky's frontier period. Mm-hmm. Um, living in Frankfurt, he was a terrific character. Uh, so these were the types that formed the Kentucky so Civil War around him. That's a talented it, group. It's of a people. heck of a group. Yeah. And I have to say, I feel like the leadership still maintains a lot of talent, a lot of connections with the University of Kentucky. Um, there's a do. high level of academic excellence represented there, yeah. and. Uh, the roundtable is able to draw speakers of just the highest caliber from all over the country. And it always has. It's an amazing it organization. It always has. What happened after that initial meeting, they had a second one in Herman Donovan's office at the mm-hmm. university. Mm-hmm. 
And there, the uh, same group elected the temporary officers. And uh, then in November of 1953, uh, before 45 charter members, they conducted their first meeting at the UK Student Union. Mm -hmm. And um, they voted to make those temporary officers permanent. And that was Bill Townsend as the... um, as the president of the roundtable, mm-hmm. and then uh, uh, Hamilton Tapp as the secretary. He was the secretary for 20-plus years, maybe, mm-hmm. see, 1953. Oh, I guess 22 years. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. he was forever the secretary of the roundtable. He had a great way with words, which I'll read to you shortly. But mm-hmm. um, So... Uh, uh, Edward Dabney, who was a banker here in town at the old First National Bank, became the treasurer. Yeah. And uh, they were in the same building as Bill Townsend. Mm -hmm. And then they had an executive committee they put together and get get these names. Thomas Dionysus Clark. Tom Clark, the great historian, uh, published multiple works on Kentucky history. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and a terrific character uh, was one of the uh, he was one of the founding executive committee members of it. Mm-hmm. J. Winston Coleman, Herman Donovan, Frank Rose, who was president of Transylvania University, mm-hmm. even Philip Davidson, who was president of the University of Louisville, mm. and then uh, uh, Charles Farmsley, who was mayor of Louisville, mm-hmm. were on the executive committee. Willard Rouse Jelson. Mm-hmm. That was the crowd that was on the executive committee. The yeah. And, you know, even today at the meetings, there are members from Louisville, Frankfurt, Lawrenceburg, Cynthiana, yeah. Paris. Louisa. Louisa, Louisa and Kentucky. And on the, uh, the tug fork. I mean, so the tradition of traveling yeah. to the to the meetings is still from yeah. across Kentucky is still. It still is. It still, ma- it still is, is maintained. Yeah. Um, th- there, there was there's been something uh, you could tell it. As a 10-year-old attending a meeting downtown, um, everyone in there was, one, dressed up. Uh, number two, um, they all imbibed before the, men, the meal, which was it was almost a tradition. It's a ceremoniously imbibed. And then uh, sat down for a dinner and uh, were waited on. I mean, they like to have a sit-down dinner. Mm-hmm. And um, you could tell— by just as a young kid, that these people were, one, seriously interested in the Civil War. They may not know a lot about it, but they're seriously interested in learning. And they're gentlemen. It was all men then. Mm-hmm. And um, they were kind to one another. They enjoyed one another's company. And um, that camaraderie mm-hmm. ha- has been evident throughout the entire life of this organization. Yeah. And— um, it's Remarkable. evident today. It, it is. persists today. We have men and lots of women who come There's, yeah, now women too. Women now do too. Yes, but right. there's still a sense of there's a sense of formality as well as a sense of camaraderie. Right, right. And it is a great occasion five times a year when people right. still do yeah. that. And like like from the very beginning, we do only have five meetings a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, this has been a tradition from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And we meet on in September, uh, November, January, March, and May. Mm-hmm. So it's nothing overburdened. No, no. one has. And to, it's a Monday night. And it's a Monday night. 
Yeah, and, and it always de- you always depart in a timely way. Yes, <laughs> it's never it it always ends around eight thirty after 8:30. the speaker and right. the Q and A after the dinner's been served. Right. The speaker gets up. It really is a great occasion. We move fast. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, Bill uh, Bill Townsend died on July twenty uh, fifth. Mm-hmm. 1964. Okay. And um, the gentleman who became, by acclamation, the president of the roundtable on his death was Holman Hamilton. Mm-hmm. And one thing I always loved about this roundtable was the how well-versed in the language all these characters were. They really were. You've, you heard Bill Townsend. Mm-hmm. Um, but Holman Hamilton was a spectacular writer, a spectacular, a master of the English language, mm-hmm. as was Hamilton Tapp. Mm-hmm. And the things they wrote about one another, about the events there, were were classic. But this is what Holman Hamilton said at the first meeting of the Roundtable after in September after Bill passed away. Okay, and he said. Um, He said this, tonight, I would not say a word about the career of William H. Townsend or about the charming books he wrote or the professional triumphs he scored. These are in the sphere of common knowledge now. Appreciation of them has appropriately passed into the public domain, and posterity will be Earth's ultimate judge. Permit me instead to voice for you what any of you, his sincere friends, would surely say. Let it be underscored here and now that Bill Townsend in this organization built a solid community of spirit, an esprit, a delightful appreciation of man for man, a brotherliness a rare achievement of affection without the slightest sign of affection. This, do we not agree, is the best in Kentucky. This is friendship. Others might use the very words he used, but those same words would fall lifeless and dull. He had a sense of timing, a significant pause, an awareness of contrast, and a flair of drama. If Kentuckians have long combined in an amazingly attractive way characteristics of the earthly and genteel, here was a man who, above all others, represented the quintessence of the combination. How rich the heritage, how pervasive the influence, How meaningful the tradition, even we cannot finally say. But who of us would deny that the colors in the tapestries of Kentucky's historic past seem less likely to fade because of Bill Townsend? Color, charm, imaginative excursions, tantalizing anecdotes, and the zest for repartee, we experience them all at first hand because we knew him, 
Ours is a treasure of cultural comradeship with a premium far beyond material calculation. And that salty son of Anderson County is the catalyst to whom we are all indebted. Like Mark Twain, whom in many ways Bill Townsend so strongly resembles. May we not paraphrase the lines of the Australian poet Robert Richardson, Warm summer sun, shine kindly here. Warm southern wind, blow softly here. Green sod above, lie light, lie light. Good night, dear friend, good night, good night. That's an example of just how incredible um, I'm these people speechless are. speechless with how beautiful a eulogy It's the is. most beautiful I ever read, I ever mm-hmm. heard. Mm-hmm. But that's what he said. And mm-hmm. that night, um, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the speaker for the roundtable was um, the, uh, the great uh, historian, uh, Bell Irvin Wiley. Hmm. Bell uh, was a graduate of Asbury and got his PhD at Yale hmm. and um, taught at Louisiana State University and uh, then taught at Emory. Mm-hmm. And um, people like uh, Charlie Rowland, like uh, Otis Singletary, who was president of the University of Kentucky, uh, Bud Robertson, mm. they were all students of Bell Wiley. Mm. Bell Wiley was the dean, literally the dean of American Civil War history. And he wrote uh, not only great books himself, Johnny Reb and Billy Yank, two mm-hmm. volumes, mm-hmm. Uh, but he wrote, he edited tons of memoirs and diaries of mostly Confederate soldiers because mm-hmm. he came from Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And Bell was the speaker the night that Holman gave that talk. Mm-hmm. And Bell got up, and before he began his talk, he said, Bill Townsend represents to me more of what I love about Kentucky than any human being I've ever known. What a tribute. So. Wow. <laughs> That's a remarkable tribute yeah, from from uh, from Bell, a man like uh, Bell Wiley. Wiley. Yeah. yeah, yeah, wonderful. And we've gone through a, a, a whole crowd of great uh, presidents. I mean, um, uh, Holman, of course, became the president for a significant uh, period of time. I think more than ten years. And um, after um, uh, Holman, uh, uh, E.I. Buddy Thompson became president. He is an auctioneer here in town and a real character, total character. Um, and after him, Charlie Rowland became mm-hmm. president of the roundtable. And, of course, we know Charlie. Charlie's He's 101 year, mm-hmm. years old this month. He's 101 years old. Uh, he was president from 1984 until 1994. And um, uh, Charlie, like Bill Wiley, came from... Uh, East Tennessee. Bell Wiley loved Charlie Rowland when he had him at LSU. But uh, Charlie got his Ph.D. at LSU mm-hmm. after getting a master's degree at Vanderbilt. Mm-hmm. But um, Charlie um, 
taught at Tulane University and then became professor of history at the University of Kentucky. And he was among the last of a group of historians at the university, all of whom were connected with the roundtable, mm-hmm. who were among the greatest Southern historians uh, in America. It had, one of the, it had one of the greatest departments of Southern history in, in the country. Mm-hmm. And uh, Charlie uh, held forth at the roundtable for, uh, for 10 years. And uh, Charlie is still is a character, uh, but he carried that torch on through until... 1994, and then James Clotter became president. And when he left, uh, Jack Cunningham, a longtime treasurer of the roundtable, took over a lawyer here in town. And then I took over in 19, uh, 2013. That's the genealogy the of the genealogy, presidency of uh, the roundtable. Of the roundtable, yeah. Wow. <laughs> uh, Mr. Townsend was something of a poet, as well. Your film, Bourbon in Kentucky, yeah. begins with a poem he wrote. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that I hope our listeners will look into. Yeah. You, the you, film is called Bourbon in Kentucky. Bourbon in Kentucky, a, a history, history distilled. distilled. Right. Yeah. And uh, you can see it often on Kentucky educational television. Yes. And uh, through other forms. I think it's probably going to be seen on, on Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime. YouTube. Yeah, I think it is. But I it begins it with you before a portrait of William Townsend uh-huh. in the old Helm Place. In the Helm Place, right. Reciting a poem he wrote about bourbon. Yeah. Isn't that yeah. right? Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a poem he, uh, he wrote about his friend um, J. Winston Coleman. Okay. And um, without going through all the poem, yes. uh, what it is— We've got to get the listeners it's, to it's go find ta- the movie. It, it talks about how the two of them sit down in front of a fire and uh, talk about Daniel Boone and Zachary Taylor and how they sip our corn. and with that we'll end this episode of the witnessing history education foundation podcast thank you you're welcome it's fun become an american hero who participates in our mission by joining us at witnessinghistory.org download our documentaries and free teacher education materials that conform to grade level education standards at pbslearning.org follow witnessing history on facebook twitter and linkedin